Welcome to Mysterious Universe, Season 29, Episode 6. Coming up on this show, we've got the orange and teal invisible protectors, the mind of immortality, and the Polish masters of psychometry. I'm Benjamin Grundy. Joining me is Aaron Wright. I'm looking forward to you uh, keeping a consistent name for this Polish guy all the way through oh, the show. Oh, God, the Polish <laughs> names. Krzysztof Dziukowski. Krzysztof, right? Isn't that also what it is? Also, <laughs> It's a bit ridiculous, these Polish names. I'll just call him the guy number one and that the works. guy number two. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> but I found this book. It's a brand new one called The Mind at Large by Sophia Weaver and Krzysztof Dzionowska. Uh, and it's on clairvoyance, psychics, police, and life after death from a Polish perspective. Oh, was this the guy that did the uh, the cross-testing psychometry? <laughs> no. Well, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a Polish psychic who's still alive today and he solves crimes. He solved like thousands of crimes and missing person cases. Sometimes people come to him if their their dog's gone missing or if they've lost uh you know their favorite brooch or something. And he's a master psychometrist who has all this evidence like there's in this book there's police reports and letters from the chief inspector and like the head prosecutor just saying how we couldn't have solved this case we could not have done this without Joukowsky and it's just phenomenal how he works he basically works on psychometry he's mm-hmm. a master psychometrist so there's one case this is the one I told you on just briefly on the last show where uh, someone came to him with the shirt of a missing man and it's really interesting the way he describes it. He, he said he felt an unresistible urge to put on the shirt. And the shirt was filthy. It was like covered in dirt. It had big armpit stains on it. It was just gro- some gross shirt. And he just felt this irresistible urge to get in it. And he couldn't explain it. So he puts this shirt on. He instantly knows where the owner of the shirt is. Instantly, get, he gets a bird's eye view. He gets a vision. A is he map, alive? A map appears. Well, I don't want to give him any spoilers away, but okay. no, he's a floating corpse. Oh. Because he solves missing person cases. Yes. And most, in most instances, it's actually quite traumatizing for him because he's finding a dead body. Yeah. Not only does he see the dead body, but he also sees the crime replay in his mind. Like he sees a little oh. video of the crime. He sees the... Uh, Whoever committed the crime, the he sees their face, but he also senses their motivations, why they did it, what it's connected to, where that person lives, how it's connected to their monetary situation. All these details emerge. So, in most cases that uh, are detailed in the book, the police, when they first contact him, just think it's insane. Yeah, they think as it's, you would. it's crazy. How could he know all this information? But as we'll find out later on in the show, time after time, he solves this, he solves cases. Mm. You know, Poland's produced some really fascinating psychics over the years. Of course, if you recall, Frank is it Frank Kluski? Uh, he was the guy that was doing the hands in wax, and remember how he was doing seances and he was getting you was know he Polish. He was Polish, yeah, and he got a whole heap of um, you know like wax, like molten wax, and he got entities to put their hands into the wax, and obviously the entity would disappear, and you have these perfect molds of hands. So it was like a manifestation of of the spirit in this world, like really fascinating stuff. So I'm looking forward to going into that psychometry stuff at the end of the show, Ben, in the plus extension. And I started off, actually, I was going to do psychometry kind of stuff for this show because I started looking at a Japanese researcher and she's a, a Western woman who I believe uh, grew up in, in the Netherlands or you know, she's Dutch. And she traveled to Japan, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And unfortunately, I didn't end up 
going in, into any great detail. Is this the woman that feels up cats and trees and wild and hogs in the forest? Yeah, look, she's a she's a really <laughs> really fascinating person. Her her stuff is really intriguing. Did like, you did you get her origin story? Because didn't she say she had some spiritual awakening at the the base of Mount Fuji? No, she's called she's created a facility called I think it's like uh, doorway portals or portal doorway something yeah. like that. There, it's basically this uh, retreat that you can go to at the base of Mount Fuji, and she's done a lot of research into haunted Japan and she's been able to approach it from because she points out that in Japan like when you talk about supernatural topics if you're talking about old stuff like old mm. stuff is fine and people are more than willing to come up to you and talk about you know these traditions and superstitions and this kind of concept but if you talk about anything modern there definitely is this element of ridicule which we have in the west as well when it comes to these sorts of topics but you know she ended up finding that when she went to Japan, uh, these kind of weird incidents happened where there were synchronicities where she was living in an old house that was previously occupied by... Katrine Ross. Katrine Ross, yeah. And she was, you know, this house was previously occupied by another well-known, you know, uh, Japanese psychic and all these little things happened. And she mentions this story of where she's like, because she's in this little village on the outskirts of this town, uh, she gets taken in by the locals and the locals introduce her into these uh, fascinating underworld of uh, Japanese antique dealers. And so it has this kind of weird Mm -hmm. psychometry and psychic element that these Japanese antique dealers, you know, have these items which are possessed or items that are supernatural or paranormal. She doesn't go into any of it. Oh, no, yeah. There's none of it. There's well, like- her videos are pretty entertaining. This is her uh, Doorways and Amazing Hands video on YouTube. Katrine Ross of Energy Doorways. That's it, Energy Doorways. Your amazing hands can sense energy. She's just feeling up some Japanese man. Like, she's just, her hands are just <laughs> over his butt. The energy of the human body. But then it transfers to, like, a tree. Yeah, yeah, and, and she's rubbing she's her hands up and down over a tree. Filling up the tree. Yeah, she describes this some... energy of a wild bird. Yeah, there's a tree that grows hair. The energy of an ancient tree. She's fully getting into it. Like, that tree. <laughs> she's edging the tree. <laughs> and then she's lying Your down with a wild hog. the energy of a wild boar. <laughs> and it's not a pet. This is like a wild forest animal, and it's, she's just... It looks pretty comfortable. Cavorting with it in the forest. We shouldn't laugh because uh, as much as like her stuff does come across the as being... of cats. Yeah, well, <laughs> then you start going down. Yeah, but no, look. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh. She, <laughs> the energy of cats. <laughs> as she's like feeling up the poor cat. The cat doesn't know what's going on. I'll put the video in the show notes. Yes, it will be in the show notes. But uh, as I was going through her stuff, she starts describing how there was a, a Japanese researcher who was actually quite fascinated by the concepts of... You know, what she was describing, people coming forward. Most of her research, and as you can tell from that video there, does seem to focus more on the idea of ki, chi, you know, that K-I, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, And she's working with that and how you Mm. can clear blockages. It kind of tied over from some of the energy healing stuff we were doing, and I was kind of going down that path. But again, it didn't go anywhere. She has this concept of sudden genius and... When I was reading from her her website about her experience, she said that she had this ecstatic spiritual experience that we often hear about, but she said it gave her sudden genius so she could immediately write and understand all this information. And one of the things that eventually emerged was this genius ability with music. So she claims that out of nowhere, she could all of a sudden play piano. 
and she'd never played piano in her life. So immediately there's this blog post where she explains that she went and bought like a $5,000 digital keyboard. As you do. And she started releasing albums and she's got the albums on her website. So this is a track from the CD entitled Music From Source Return which I think was her debut album after buying her $5,000 digital piano. (laughs) And uh, amazingly, it sounds nothing like someone who's just playing a piano for the first time in their life. Sounds nothing like that. Sounds like a virtuoso. To be fair, it's probably better than how I would sound if I played a (laughs) piano for the first time. Yeah, I'm not so sure that that's a that's genius just, implant. That's her, literally her first time ever touching her fingers to the keys of See, that piano. I wondered about that, though, because in her book, and so her book has gone through you know different iterations because she's written a lot of blog posts and those blog posts have turned into a book. So obviously she's describing experiences she's had with people and people that have come to this you know, energy doorways place. You didn't but, email her or something to get her on the show because you seem hesitant with me shitting on her. <laughs> As no, if you, you've got something I've, planned later no, on. Nothing like that. I'm hesitant because I do like her book. I just ended oh, up okay. going down a different path. And the reason why that happened is because uh, that p- particular uh, imbuing of energy is something that was described by Rob Tilley. So Rob Tilley is with the Australian Institute of Parapsycho- uh, Parapsychical Research. And, you know, they're great. They're not very big. You know, I think their YouTube channel has got even less than a thousand subscribers. Um, and there's not a lot on there, but I do like it that they just have these, you know, pioneers years in Australian parapsychical research, you know, coming on and presenting and, and talking about their theories and their experiences. And, and Rob Tilley is quite a fascinating character. And um, he's actually worked with Bill Chalker. Of course, we know Bill Chalker and we've spoken about him a few times. Uh, just well, so famous ha- for the uh, hair of the angel abduction case of, was it Peter Curie? Hair of the alien, yeah. Hair of Peter, the alien. Yeah, with Peter Curie. You're exactly right. And in fact, that's something I was looking at today. So if you're not familiar with that story, ultimately Peter Curie had these sexual, I suppose, charged interactions with some type of alien being that almost felt rubberish. He came home from a long day after work. He lies down on his bed. He has a quick nap and he's woken up by two plastic looking naked chicks on his bed. But very grey looking. One of them is blonde and the other one looks kind of Asian. That's right. Yeah. But she's also blonde. And the was it the Western looking one tell inf- instructs the Asian one on how to have sex with him. And he resists and bites off her nipple. That's right. And it has a weird fluid that comes flying out. <laughs> and, and then it comes off like it's latex. It's like a, yeah, it's like it's rubber. And then weird. he passes out and when he wakes up he goes to the toilet and yeah, he's got hair wrapped around his penis. Yeah, it's like a long, was it a long blonde hair? Yeah. I recall. And uh, what's his name? Bill Chalker. Chalker analyzes the DNA of the hair and it's traced back to some ancient, like uh, very obscure um, ethnic group in China. That's right. That doesn't have blonde hair, but this hair was naturally blonde. It wasn't dyed. Uh, it was just a very strange result. Well, it was a strange result because if the guy was making up the story and he just, you know, managed to pluck a hair from somewhere and, and claim that that was the hair, how do you get this yeah. obscure group? It's, it's just- not it's not Han Chinese. It's like some obscure ethnic group that you would be very hard to find even in China. Well, the other thing that came out of that that uh, I was listening to to Rob in one of his presentations today was that um, the CCR5 gene apparently was deleted from the sequence. And that suggests that it confers uh, significant resistance to viruses, 
which is you know odd. So this ties in with the idea of extraterrestrials performing some type of um, DNA modification. It ties in with the hybridization program, especially the the sexualized nature of what happened. But the rabbit hole that I've tumbled down today uh, just really goes down this path of combining Nigel Kona's work with the greys stealing people's souls at the point of death, reincarnation, the actual consciousness of immortality itself contained within inside ourselves, abductions from Italian nightclubs, like just crazy stuff. Pretty so, standard stuff, basically. Yeah, kind of standard stuff, but it's 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 certainly you know a wild kind of ride. But just to finish off with Katrine, where I want to go in the future with her research, she got in contact with uh, a Japanese researcher. Who who wanted to look at this from, you know, a, a scientific standpoint. Is this the guy whose butt she was filling up in the video? <laughs> well, I don't know. Perhaps it was. We don't see his face. But I find out that uh, what he had done, he'd established a laboratory somewhere in Tokyo that was a radio frequency laboratory. And uh, much like, you know, we hear about... A the, radio frequency yeah, laboratory. Well, like what we were only recently describing with the Rhine Institute and how they had, uh, you know, scientific instruments to measure light, you know, light particles, that kind of thing. Oh. This was measuring... It was a room that was essentially set up kind of like a Faraday cage, but the opposite. It had a whole heap of sensors and it was to monitor... Uh, the ambient radio frequency radiation or, you know, electromagnetic frequencies okay. coming off a person. And what they did is they got a whole heap of people in there and they brought in monks and meditators and martial artists and this kind of stuff. And it kind of does get a little bit Hadouken because <laughs> when they brought in the monks, they got them to meditate and they gave off a very specific frequency. Like there was like a change. Like it actually caused a change in their energy, right? Uh, then they brought in martial artists and martial artists would give off kind of like bursts of energy it was really strange it'd be like a yeah kind of like this weird energy that you couldn't see it and you couldn't necessarily you know um perceive it but Mm. in some fashion this was being detected by scientific instruments and then there's this one outlying story that i like i tried to put together from her blog i couldn't work out exactly what was going on but it kind of implied because obviously this kind of stuff all comes back to healing in reality. And there was a person that um, would essentially heal people by punching them in the back. Like it's this weird kind of <laughs> weird Japanese kind of uh, treatment that was being done. Oh, I don't were... even have the Joe Pesci soundboard loaded up. <laughs> and people were raving about it. This is obviously why it came to the attention of, you know, new age researchers and people in this field. And so they got this guy in. And what they noticed that when he did punches, like these punches, there was a peak in the uh, electromagnetic or whatever it was, the energy that was around his fist. What the hell? Suggesting that there was something that was going on, even though it's... Ever loving shit out of you. <laughs> That's how he heals people. So with go- what if I was just to kick the ever-loving shit out of you? Yes, that's a very effective way, I suppose. So going back to Katrine Ross and her describing that she was, you know, imbued with this energy of some kind, uh, or that you know gave her the ability to poorly play the piano. Uh, <laughs> many people here in Australia, uh, Rob Tilly has described actually something simple when it comes to uh, performing like exorcisms, but not necessarily exorcisms. He refers to them as as clearings. And this is what Rob's work is kind of focused on. The guy... Um, Wait, how did you get from the Japanese radio frequency lab to an Australian psychical researcher? Because the way that he does his healings, right, is he brings in other entities that... And when I say not healings, clearings, the way he does his clearings is he brings in other entities and he gets them to imbue energies into the subject 
And sometimes they can download things or they can put things into the mind of the subject, much like what Katrine described, you know, having this, you know, piano knowledge coming through. Like, it's just weird that it would be like, why? Like, why would that even happen? Mm. Except in Rob's case, he's actually doing it for a very specific purpose. And this is for clearing away uh, essentially parasitic and vampiric Entity possession. So he's clearing out possessing entities by using other entities. Other entities, yeah. It, it's it's fascinating. That's generally how most people that claim to be able to do that say that it's done. Well, it's very they shamanic. Usually, they say they're bringing in, yeah, like higher beings or angels or the, the light beings. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what he describes. And I mean, the guy, I don't know much of, of his work. I did kind of look around today and try to find more out about him. But the presentation that he did, it kind of came across as he's uh, very... Uh, opposed to the psychiatry movement, um, the psychologists, the way that they approach these things. Uh, he's kind of annoyed at the church for the way that they deal with exorcisms. And he cites that, you know, the Vatican has done, you know, thousands of, of exorcisms. And in fact, he he quotes this man who went and spoke to the head exorcist at the Vatican. And the argument was put forward, well, you know, you've had all these deaths over these years. Like you've had deaths of people. There was a nun that was uh, essentially, you know, um, strung up to a crucifix and sadly she died of, of malnutrition because they left her there. You've had other people that have been suffocated because there was this one particular exorcism that was taking place where this woman, for whatever reason, had seen that there was something that had gone into her stomach. Mm. And so they started working on her stomach and pushing stuff from her stomach, like physically pushing while praying over the top of her. And they pushed it up into her throat and then they crushed her throat. Oh, you know, like, God. Like, exorcisms are a really, really dangerous thing. And Rob Tilley says that is not the way to deal with it. Exorcisms tend to make things a lot worse. And the argument was put forward by, by the church. This head exorcist, apparently, was that, oh, well, that was God's will. And, you know, Rob says, and perhaps rightly so, is that he's angry because it's kind of a very dismissive way of, you know, passing the buck and Mm. going, oh, well, that's, you know, that's what God wanted. But it's like, no, this is actually people are seemingly having some type of interaction with an entity, a possessing spirit, something that's that's evil. And it's been recorded all throughout history. Now, traditionally, I guess you could perceive this as being um, a psychosis of some kind, uh, the guy suffering. And in this particular case that Rob was dealing with, the guy was suffering from some type of, um, I don't know, a psychiatric break, um, you know, anything like that, schizophrenia. And he said, look, this guy was a young man. He was a, he was a 31-year-old man. Uh, he came to Rob and he said, look, you know, I've got these, these entities, these spirits that are hanging around and they put something in me and they keep on talking to me and they keep on yelling at me and I can't get rid of it. Now, fascinatingly enough, Rob works with a psychiatrist. Like he has a psychiatrist, even though he's critical of the, the psychiatry approach, he brings the psychiatrist with him to deal with certain cases. And the psychiatrist appeared to not be able to make a diagnosis of uh, schizophrenia. There was something else that was going on here. And, you know, Rob says, you know, sadly what happens is for a lot of people that are having these weird experiences, because sometimes you can be very highly functioning. You can hear voices, you mm. can be harassed in the night by entities, you can see ghosts, you can have these experiences, all of which conventional psychiatry would rate as being some type of hallucination or, or, or a mental illness. He's like, it's not a mental illness. He said, and he's conducted this study, like he conducted this widespread study, um, of over the years of all these people that have come to him. And he gave them like, I think it was a 10 page questionnaire and he got them to fill it out. And he found that most of these people, it seems like most of these people are just psychically inclined. It's like 25%, 30% of the population. They're just psychic people. Whereas the rest of the people, they don't have these experiences. They don't have anything like this because there's no psychic 
pickup of what's going on. So you can have two people, one who is psychically inclined and one who isn't. You both can walk into an alleged haunted house. One person can have no experience whatsoever, and yet the other person who's psychically inclined will be plagued with horrible events and horrible things that happen. Yeah. So we're just sensitive to it. But I wonder in the cases of spirit possession, for example, if people who aren't psychically inclined aren't just a, aren't necessarily aware of what's being done to them. They're not aware of very the influence. Apt. The influence is more subtle. That is a very, very apt point. And that's something that we'll get into a little bit later on when we talk about the work of Eve Lorgen and uh, this uh, Italian researcher who suggests that there are a, a group of entities and beings that might be alien mm. in their presentation. There's a There's a... Daily Telegraph article about Tilly from 2015. Oh, really? Uh, he operates out of Sydney and he's being interviewed because he charges $150 to get rid of spirits from your house. Yeah, right. Which is a bargain. Yeah, well, it is in comparison <laughs> to some of the ones I've seen. Um, but, well, the way that he describes it, and he's, he has been doing this for years. I think he's been doing this for, I think he said 25 to 30 years that he's been doing this. Uh, it's a very unconventional kind of approach, but he did say as part of the study, he found that 66% of people that had had a house clearing, uh, I think 66% of them had a permanent clearing. Okay. They had gotten rid of whatever this stuff was. Uh, he said 80-something percent of people that have poltergeist-like experiences actually have had a permanent clearing as well. So it, and the way that he does is that he brings in all these entities, and this is what he describes with this young man who's describing that he's having these schizophrenic uh, kind of episodes, these voices, these experiences, and uh, he tries to get treated by, by Rob, and Rob claims, he says, he brings in the good spooks, and he connects with all these entities. Now, Rob claims that he connects with something like 300 good entities that are hanging around, mm. and they all focus down on this young man and just start imbuing him with all this positive emotion. They try to uh, activate something known as a high emotional response or something like that. It's a highly emotive event that takes place, and it's overwhelming for the person experiencing it, but the idea is, is to actually force out the entities, the negative entities that are stuck to this person that are hanging around. And apparently he says like when you have a haunted house and you have poltergeist-like behavior and this kind of stuff happening, it's normally um, dumb, low-level spirits. He's like, they're actually quite dumb and they're kind of, oh, just want right. to you know, create a mess and create havoc. And so you've got to be quite firm with them. You actually have to be quite rude with them. You have to yell at them. You have to swear at them. And then you bring in these other entities which seem to clear them away. It's not the same Dr. Robert Tilly, who's a scripture scholar and an expert on the Catholic faith, is it? It may very well be. I'm not aware of his background. I'm just aware of his psychical research. Interesting. It may very well be. He seems to be extremely knowledgeable about those sorts of, of topics. So, and this is the thing with a lot of these people. You, you find you have people that have uh, exceptional academic backgrounds, and then they just cross over into this world that seems to... Um, engulf them. Engulf them is probably the way to, to describe. And we know that with paranormal phenomena that many people seem to get engulfed by it. But it's like you become, from an outside perspective, it seems like the person's gone crazy. But when you actually listen to them, mm. what they describe is actually quite rational. It's just a different way of uh, you know approaching these sorts of topics. So where this kind of ties into you know this whole alien stuff that I want to get to and abductions in a moment is that very early on, Rob describes that um, he gets this phone call. So he's had a hotline. So obviously from that, that article you're describing there, Ben, the Daily Telegraph, that yeah, he gets, he's got a hotline out there and people call him up. And I'm, say, try, I'm trying to find him. I'm trying to see if he's got a website. Yeah. Well, or, but it doesn't look like there's anything current. It's right. just all these articles about him from like seven years ago. Yeah, right. So, okay. And this is the presentation that he's done is from about 
six or seven years yeah. ago as well. Um, but he claims that he gets this phone call and this this woman calls him up and she says, oh, um, you know, I've, I've got a haunted house. And here's these standard kind of screening questions. And he says, oh, okay, so what are you experiencing? And she describes things like there being uh, strange scratches, uh, odd noises, bangs and knocks, uh, apparitions fleeting through, you know, all the standard kind of haunted house stuff that happens. And Rob points out that usually when you've got a haunted house, you'll get someone that's just moved into a place and they'll be there for a few months and maybe a year and then they'll contact someone mm. and be like, well, you know, I need to get rid of this. This is like really frustrating. He says, how long has this been going on? She's like, oh, about 30 years. <laughs> just been putting up with it. He's like, 30 years? And he couldn't work it out. He's like, why? Why would you put up with this for 30 years? And the stories that she tells are truly astonishing. And it, it's, I don't know if the initiator of this was actually the death of her husband or if something else had taken place. Because as um, she describes to to Rob, she says that just before her daughter was born, um, about six months, I believe, before her daughter was born, maybe six weeks, um, he killed, he died. Now, we don't know whether or not he killed himself. The police said it was murder. Uh, oh, sorry, the police said it was suicide. She was convinced that it was murder. You know, there's all these kind of unleft, you know, uh, unraveling kind of ends that are kind of, you know, left there. So it creates already this emotional and uh, you know, this thought process around things of questioning and, you know, what's going on. So essentially, you know, this all this activity breaks out and she describes things like, she says her daughter has this uh, large kind of a mirror that's in her room. It's like a, a dressing mirror at the end of the bed. And she starts to have experiences as well where she wakes up in the middle of the night and she finds that there's entities like faces, there's angry faces that are inside the mirror itself. And she thinks she's asleep, right? She's kind of trying to wake herself up. And when she wakes up, she um, can see the faces and these entities just start walking through this mirror, essentially like it's a portal into this world. And they're really angry and they're just, and she's terrified. This poor daughter, I don't know how old she is. It doesn't describe how old she is, but I would say she's probably a little bit older. She's terrified by what's going on and it starts validating the experiences of the mother, you know, the woman who's called Rob, because she's waking up at night to find like a weird skeletal type being standing over the end of the bed. And mm. when I hear that, I start going, is this is this a haunting or is it is it something else? And that becomes quite apparent a little bit later on because Rob goes, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll we'll come in there and we'll try and, and, and deal with this. And so they try to clear the house and they find that when they try to pull the mirror out, like they actually want to move the mirror out of the house, the mirror is exceptionally heavy. It's like it's so heavy and the room is freezing, like that typical haunting mm. kind of thing. And they drag the mirror across the threshold. Like this old Mirrors boat. are generally heavy, though. You're saying that it's out of the ordinary heavy. When they pull it across the threshold, it's like they almost throw it oh, because wow. the weight is all gone. And it's like, and they're like, okay, so there's something going on. This mirror is doing something. So they start focusing this energy and doing this this clearing on this particular room. And they clear this room and they all notice the, the, the feeling of the room completely changes. And what we find out is that not only was the mother and daughter who were living in this haunted house there, uh, her parents had actually come down as well because it turns out that the entire family is psychically inclined. They're all psychically inclined. Now, guess what? The father pipes up and he says, oh... You know, could this possibly have anything to do with an experience that we had when, you know, the owner of the house was a little girl? And of course, the question is asked, well, what are you referring to? And it just so happens that the parents recalled that when the, the, the woman was a little girl, they were up somewhere on the north coast of New South Wales, and which is a beautiful you know, location, and they were near the beach, and they went for an evening walk, as you do in summer here. And when they went for this evening walk, 
they saw this weird UFO clunkily moving in the distance. Clunkily. It, it was just, it was weird. The way it wasn't smooth. It was like a clunky, weird kind of movement, but almost to make it, you know, quite conspicuous, mm-hmm. you know, to get its attention, get their attention. And they all saw it. And it was green and glowing. And they all took off. Like, they are all freaked out by what they had seen. And it starts to set the scene here of there being a lifelong series of interactions with paranormal phenomena and UFOs. And that's when she started, the, the mother starts having memories coming back of there being like an interaction with uh, a gray or alien type entities of some kind. And she says when she was eight years old, she recalls being out and hiding in the bushes because some large craft was hovering over the house, but that's all she can pull out of the memories. And so she says to Rob, she's like, oh, oh yeah, well, um, I haven't even told you about the alien abduction stuff yet. And he's like, oh, my God, Like this is why mm. you've spent 30 years in a haunted home. <laughs> because the beings that are showing up in the bed, they're greys. Like, they're these weird grey-type beings that are appearing. There's lights that are going on. You know, there's being floated out of the room, seeing strange kind of things. Um, but also, she describes, and we've heard this as well, like people that have had experiences of seeing UFOs, not seeing entities, but just simply seeing a UFO. And then all of a sudden they go home and their house is full of poltergeist experiences. This is exactly what was happening with her. So it's almost like maybe she's already psychically inclined. She's already tagged by these beings and it's creating all this psychic turmoil inside the house. And so her husband passing away as well, just added to that and amplified what was going on to the point where she said there was an aggressive uh, phantom dog that lived in the house. And she kind of didn't worry about it for a while, but she would say things like her own living dog would suddenly, and like much many animals do, they can see things that we seemingly, seemingly can't. But apparently this dog would get its you know, back up and would jump up and start growling because there'd be something in the room, but no one can see it. But How do they know it's a phantom dog and not something else? Because she could hear it. She could hear like a dog and she said, oh. but, but even worse, she said one particular evening she was lying on her bed and she was just drifting off to sleep and she had a hand over the edge of the bed. As she had her hand over the edge of the bed, this entity um, came into the room, like this dog mm. came into the room. It's very aggressive. Her dog freaks out and she's focusing on her dog. This other phantom dog runs over, bites her hand. Like this entity, this spirit entity, this phantom dog bites her hand. She's like, ah, 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 and she pulls her hand Draw up. Draw blood. Draws blood. So there's some what type the of, of physical thing that's happening from the spirit side of this kind of stuff. She's got to keep some sausages, phantom sausages in her pocket. <laughs> Just get ready to throw them. Some, yeah, psychic kibble and bits ready to go. <laughs> kibble. <laughs> Some holy kibble is what she needs yeah, to get rid of. Oh, exactly. Well, maybe that's just not, you know, what's what's going to happen. But yeah, so all this activity has like really gotten to the point where it's just overwhelming. And this, Where is uh, this case again? So this is, uh, this must be in New South Wales. I don't know okay. exactly where, but it's it's in New South Wales. Um, I'm just downloading a presentation he did two years ago. Uh, it's about 42 minutes long. Is that from uh, the oh, Australian Psychical, um, sorry, the Institute of Psych- Parapsychical? Yeah, research? I'm just, I'm just running it. I'm just going to run it through the transcription software just to see if there's um, any reference to what you're talking about. Maybe oh. he mentions it in this video. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, we'll keep doing that. Um, but look, he says these spooks that are going through, uh, like it's there's obviously something else that's happening here, uh, and these entities that he you know, gets him to assist. This is where it starts crossing over into the world of, of ultra high strangeness because for 30 years, as I pointed out. She's had these interactions. There's something else that happens. So this this actually ties in a little bit to what we've been talking about as well recently of being like hidden truths, things that are, well, they're, like they're, they're out in the open. I shouldn't say hidden because they're out in the open, but they're, 
they've got like a, a veneer of of being hidden, but they're very much in the open. And I'm describing abductees and the medical fraternity. So what she describes is that she ended up having trouble swallowing. Like she's having this problem swallowing and she doesn't know why. And it's causing, you know, difficulty for her. And she finally gets to the point where she's like, well, I need to seek out medical assistance. Is there swelling and pain? I guess so. It's it's enough to cause, elicit her to go and, and seek out medical assistance. So she goes to a GP and the GP uh, does a barium swallow. So it's basically you swallow barium and then you use a, a scan essentially and you can look to see what's going on. Mm. And when they do this barium swallow and there's like a, a scan, it's like a, obviously you can just look at the scan image and he's looking at the image and she He's like, he's been her GP for a long time and she's looking and she doesn't see anything because you need to be a trained eye. But he goes, oh, did I perform surgery on you? She's like, no. Well, and you know, you know that you haven't performed surgery. And he's like, oh, oh, yes. Oh, well, that's, and he's kind of flustered. He says, oh, I think we need to send you to a thoracic surgeon. And uh, he writes a referral, right? But apparently what he says to her is something along the lines of, um, Oh, uh, have you had anything strange happen to you? Why would he say that? I know, right? And she's like, oh, yeah. And then she starts spilling her guts about the alien abductions, right? She just starts talking about it. Like, she's obviously overwhelmed by it, and she thinks she can talk to someone she trusts. According to Rob, he actually writes on the referral to a thoracic surgeon, mm. uh, nice lady, but history of alien abductions. <laughs> Why would you do that? I know. I'm like, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. So she gets taken to a thoracic surgeon and another scan is done. It's a, a magnetic re- resonance image is done. And they find there's an implant or there's some type of foreign object what? that's in her neck. It's a six to seven millimeter uh, seemingly metallic object, slightly curved, which is in the back of her throat. And she, the thoracic surgeon, according to Rob, looks up. And he says, uh, there's quite a lot of you walking around, like implying that he's seen more of these strange implants. And apparently, like uh, with some of these things, I don't know if it's this particular case, but you can perform, um, I think you can perform like isotopic analysis of these kinds of things. And in, in some of these cases, you find that the isotope analysis demonstrates that the object is not of Earth origin. And so it's kind of implied that maybe this is what he's seen because this isn't like a calcium growth or something else or you know, there's something very metallic about this. So this kind of demonstrates, you know, Rob's research going from the spiritual, like he went to deal with a haunted house, to finding out that this was an alien abduction of some kind. And, you know, she's been having these, these horrible experiences, uh, but it's with this ultra high strangeness and implant at the same time. Uh, and so I wanted to dig a little bit further with this. And he starts describing, and, you know, I, I like the research of, of Nandor Fodor, which we've only recently discussed. But uh, he says Nandor Fodor basically stuffed everything up. Like he's one of the researchers, he's one of the, the psychiatrists or the, the psychologists that stuffed all this stuff up. Because Nandor Fodor back in the 1940s uh, was involved in the publication of a paper of a young woman that was living in a 300 year old house in London. And she was there with a flatmate. And much like what I described earlier, this woman was psychically inclined while the flatmate wasn't. So the woman that was psychically inclined was experiencing persistent uh, experiences of 
I shouldn't say experiencing, but she was just having poltergeist experiences. You know, things were being flung around, objects were mm. reporting and reappearing. And she sought out the assistance of Nandor Fodor. And Nandor Fodor diagnosed this as poltergeist psychosis, suggesting that there wasn't a external entity that was responsible for this, that there was some type of uh, hidden energy or uh, psychokinetic ability that was bubbling to the surface that was causing this to happen. But Rob points out that, no, like the, to, to suggest that people are simply... And this is well, like even though it's saying it's a hidden talent, it's still suggesting that there's a an emotional instability, a mental illness. Uh, this was jumped on by a whole heap of researchers at the time. So even though they were outliers, like these these parapsychologists, even though they were outliers, they basically dismissed anything that was of a third entity or a third party entity that could be responsible for this type of phenomenon. Right. But And so now, like, even the research of people like Frank Podmore, for example, who did Phantasms of the Living and, you know, the SPR work, um, all this idea of there being an external agent responsible was, was thrown out. And around this time, so you've got like uh, Maurice Gross with the Enfield poltergeist, you know, he's saying, I don't know what a poltergeist does and, uh, or what it is, and you know, anyone claiming to know what it is is a charlatan. Like, it was this ridiculous mm. kind of uh, idea of just shutting down everything else and essentially saying, oh, well, that's, that's what it is. It's all within the mind. I've got some audio here of Tilly uh, speaking at that conference oh, where great. he's talking about this, um, I guess, narrow-mindedness Mm. in approach to these cases. This is just recommended by the AI, so let's oh, just let's see how the goes. sample goes. And it's like in 1940, Parapsychology or Society for Psychical Research got hijacked by the psychiatrists and the psychologists and the therapeutic psychologists and the uh, psychoanalytic psychologists and later parapsychologists. It seems at that time the psychic people who actually are psychic know what they're talking about, they got squeezed out. Yeah. And they've been excluded ever since. I found 117 poltergeist cases published in all the different journals, the British, American, South African, European journals, 117 poltergeist cases. Only one case, 1984 in Los Angeles, the Kern City poltergeist, where a mother and a 15-year-old daughter went into the house, cleared it in the same way that I do in about an hour and a half, described the woman, a previous owner of the house who'd been haunting the place. That paper was published in 1984 and caused a huge storm between the psychologist, the psychiatrist and the spiritualist. So there seems to be this bias has existed up to now. Um, when you read back... Good job, AI, giving us a bit of insight. <laughs> but he's right. It did. It, uh, it kind of all got hijacked. And then, you know, there was only, you know, when I say recently, we're talking 40 years ago now, but then it kind of changed a little bit. Really, it still is kind of stuck in this idea that uh, poltergeist phenomena, if it even is real, mm. it's a unconscious energy projection from an emotionally unstable teen normally. And that doesn't always appear to be the case. It might be one answer. But from Rob's research, he's quite convinced. And I actually think there might be something to it because we hear this from other, you know, clairvoyance, mediums, people that work in this kind of field that suggest that there is some type of agent, an external agent that's responsible for this. And then, of course, we cross into the idea that it's alien entities. And this is the Eve Lorgen stuff that we'll, we'll get into. Um, but then, you know, that case with Dan that he was describing, the reason why all this happened, right? Because, yes, people can suffer from schizophrenia. Uh, and I don't want to dismiss you know, the, looking at it from a modern psychiatric perspective, because obviously someone suffering from that, uh, you want to try and treat them for their, like their illness conventionally before going into any of these realms, because sometimes it could actually be worse. But what happened with Dan is that after a psychiatrist looked at him and said, he doesn't appear to have any, you know, psychiatric conditions, uh, Rob dug into his past. Well, guess what happened? When Rob 
uh, sorry, when Rob did this hypnosis, mm. he found out that when Dan, this man that had had seemingly possessing spirits, was a little boy, he had actually made relationships with spooks that were living in the haunted house he grew up in. And these entities got stronger and stronger and stronger to the point where they actually took over his body. Boy, there's always an origin point, isn't there? There's always an origin. It's really fascinating. And it's like uh, only recently how you were describing, was it uh, Steiner? And the idea that, you know, the ideas that Steiner was describing. Uh, My son is, is really, really clingy. And I asked you about it and you were pointing out that Steiner says that it's like, the the psychical idea of that is because your energy field has to protect them until theirs has matured enough. Yeah, they haven't really developed their own full full field. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm they bas- rely on you. Yeah, and then that's once- why you always feel tired when you've got little kids because yeah. they're literally <laughs> sapping your energy. energy. And I think it's until they get to about what, seven or something that they start to have their own independent field. Yeah, right. So or with fully this- formed. Yeah. Well, so with this poor Dan guy, he was uh, when he met Rob. It was to the point where. Um, he was digging, like the entity, whatever it was, was like trying to resist the clearing. And so would dig his hands, uh, it would like make a fist and would dig his fingernails into the palm of his hand and would leave blood. Like this is what was going on. Does he describe what he actually does in the healing apart from calling in other entities? No, he doesn't go into great detail. He just describes calling in these other entities and getting them to focus. He said that uh, with Dan, this entity was deleting parts of his memory and he couldn't feel emotion. Like it was actually blocking, you know, things that were going on. And uh, yeah, he cured him by... Uh, bringing in these other entities, without going into great detail. The AI recommended a point in this video here where he talks about it apparently, so let's take a listen. Just add to the problem, so, so that's the technique that I've been, I've been taught, and that's the technique that I use, which is good news for parapsychologists, because it means... Well, it's, it looks like it's before then. Places. My advice would be, don't let the exorcists in your house. Oh, this is where he's trashing uh, exorcists. For me, to understand Christianity, I should rely on Monty Python. <laughs> So why, why doesn't the exorcism work? Funny's a funny man. Why is that? And I remember uh, during doing the philosophy of religion, Sydney Uni, a long time ago, we were told that um, there's no proof that Jesus Christ ever existed, and that God is an idea borrowed from the Jews. Yeah, this is him talking about his religious understandings. It's a very grey audience. It's like our demographics up here. It's like, <laughs> oh, these things always are. It's funny how you find with these topics as well that you tend to. Um, you, it seems to skew more towards an older audience, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because when you get older, you tend to mm. question more about you know reality or, or what's on the other side. Well, that was an AI fail. That was trash. Def- well, that was an AI fail. Dragging it to the trash. Uh, Listen. Oh, I turned my sounds off. Anyway. <laughs> Look, what is coming next, though, it, along those lines, is that he was actually describing how he does... I wrote it down in my notes here, but I'd actually forgotten. He actually says that he meditates for an hour or so. And uh, as he he, he meditates, uh, he can send these things through. And oh. this is where he connected with these other entities and they flooded him emotionally. And he was immobilized, right? And this happened, like he knows the date. And three weeks later, this Dan guy calls him and he's like, oh, that guy, because they tried with regression to try and get rid of this guy, and apparently they'd connected with it, and he was this narcissistic, uh, horrible lack of empathy and compassion entity that was coming through, and they mm. just couldn't get rid of it with conventional hypnosis techniques or regression techniques. And so when Dan calls him three weeks later, he's like, oh, he's gone. And Rob's kind of, you know, like, well, I know. And he's like, well, when did he leave? He's like, oh, three weeks ago. So for Rob, this is like confirmation that whatever had happened was actually, you know, very kind of effective that had gone on. But while we're on the 
the topic of implants because it doesn't really go anywhere uh, with that particular case with that woman in the haunted house. And the reason is because apparently, uh, despite all of the disruption of what's going on, her son is extremely ill. Like he's a grown up man, but he's extremely ill. So she was just at that moment focused on her son rather than you know, focusing on what this implant is. But there's a whole heap of stories out there and some are described there by Rob, but why, you know, people find these objects under their skin and sometimes they're described as being able to move. Uh, Sometimes they seem to have tendrils on them. You know, the research done by uh, Dr. Roger Lear, you know, he's found some really fascinating cases. Um, There's been cases of people that describe that they find an implant, right? And researchers go to actually remove it. They go to remove the implant. And when they go to remove the implant, it's disappeared. And the idea is here, some people have hypothesized that once it's hit by a, like a magnetic resonance image wave or you know, whatever's used for the scanning, it actually triggers something for it to dissolve or to, and to get rid of it. So oh, they have right. an initial look at it. That would be clever. Exactly. And when they go to get rid of it, it's gone. Other people have described, like there were a couple of old biddies in the audience said that were like, I know of ones that move up and down inside. There was. There was one apparently that would, uh, you could see it on an x-ray and it would come to the surface every now and again. And then it would disappear again. It would be mobile. So there's a lot of these sort of reports. But one of the most intriguing cases of a uh, an implant actually comes from the story of New York housewife Linda uh, Napolitano. Now she uh, had a really we know this story a little bit, like some, but there's a whole other angle to the story that I was never aware of. So this case was actually investigated by Bud Hopkins. Uh, back in the 90s, but her incident happened uh, in November of 1989 or 1988. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it was 1989. It was November the 30th in, in 1989. And what happened with her is that she was on, I don't know if it's the 50th floor or something, or she was 50 meters in the air, uh, but she was in an apartment building, right? And she was in this apartment building and she awoke, she'd put the children to bed and she'd gone and laid down next to her husband. And should awoken to a noise outside. There was this odd kind of noise and also a figure that was in the room, right? And she's trying to come out of sleep, but she's looking at this figure and it's this uh, three foot tall, weird thing standing. It's like, it's, it's a child, but it's not a child. So she's like trying to wake up a husband. She's hitting a husband and her husband is completely out of it. Like her husband will not wake up. A very typical kind of thing that's described in abduction experiences. And she's fearful. So she's digging her hand into her husband and the husband uh, just doesn't wake up. And telepathically, as she's scanning the room, she hears this creature say to her, shut up. Like it's just, it's really rude. It just says, shut up. Right. And she can turn her head. And when this thing comes into her mind, this thought of, she starts to scream in terror because she's completely paralyzed. And as she's paralyzed, she realizes that her mouth and eyes are suddenly covered with a white sheet of some kind. Now, this actually reminds me of that, that scene, which was fictional, but of fire in the sky. There's a film about the Travis Walton abduction, which was fictionalized. And the true story or the alleged true story of the Travis Walton abduction is that that, you know, he's out in the woods with his, you know, um, woodchop buddies and he was taken aboard a craft and he meets these beings and it's all kind of relatively nice. And he comes back a few mm. days later. Fire, the movies. The like, movie's horrible. <laughs> I remember seeing the movie. Covered in slime. Oh, and, yeah. There's this one scene, yeah, where they throw like the sheet over him and he's screaming and then some mist comes down and it kind of sticks him to the bed and they perform horrible medical experiments on him. It's, it's horrible. But that scene of that, that sheet is exactly what Linda kind of describes. This sheet is thrown over her. And she can't see anything, but she can see light, right? She can see light outside. And as 
this sheet comes over her, it causes this tingling sensation to move from her, you know, from her feet up through into the top of her head. And as this tingling sensation passes through her, she realizes that it acts as a paralysis agent. It paralyzes her. And the only thing she can move is her eyes. And as she's paralyzed, she then has the sheet pulled back and she can turn and just kind of look. And she's looking out the window and she sees this bright blue and white kind of light. And she's looking and she's like, (gasps) and she says that she's levitated up. This being is there, is kind of, I don't know how, but acting like a foreman watching as she's levitated up and as she starts being taken towards the window. And as she's taken towards the window, she passes not only through the closed window, through the glass, but through the metal bars that are on the outside as well. Like she, she passes through it. Now, as she passes through it, she finds herself hovering over the river there. This is in New York. And I think it's three o'clock in the morning that this is taking place. Um, and as she's you know, like floating out there, she's looking around like terrified of what's happening. She says there's three greys with her now. There was the one grey that was in the room and there's also two other greys as well. And she sees this massive craft that's floating. Now she's taken up into this craft. Again, this beam is there and this craft opens the bottom and she's sucked up inside it. And when she goes inside it, she's taken down this extremely long corridor, which is inconsistent with what you'd imagine for the size of this craft. And she goes down this corridor and she's just screaming the whole time. Ah! And as she's screaming, she's taken into this room and placed on a table. And when she's placed on the table, there's like uh, a dome kind of thing. And her screaming seems to be reverberating and increasing as she's going, right? And one of the greys, that they're very cold. We know this about the greys, that they're very cold and you know, just very indifferent to the feelings of the human. But this Gray kind of puts its hand over her mouth, right, and covers her mouth, and she just screams even more. Like, it just, and so this gray is like they just want to get over what whatever they're doing over. So he produces this weird gun-looking object with a long kind of barrel, a very narrow-looking barrel, and he shoves it up her nose and sticks it into the back of her nasal cavity and fires, and bam, she wakes up in a bed in the morning, right. They put an implant in her. They put an implant up in her nose. And this is something that, uh, you know, she was horrified. She'd had this horrible experience, but she'd woken up in her bed. So she- How um, much recall did she have? Well, she had initially a huge recall, right? But she's woken up in bed and she's like, this must be a really horrible, horrible dream. And the day goes on and the memory of it fades. Like any bad dream that people have, the memory fades and she goes about her life. But then she starts having these uh, triggering kind of events where she has flashbacks and events taking place and memories. And she's just like, there's something really wrong here. So she knows, I think there's like a television show where she sees like someone referencing aliens or these greys or these beings. So she contacts Bud Hopkins. So she gets in contact, the great researcher. And... Bud Hopkins puts her under regression. And the story that I just told you is what they pulled out of regression. But they also had a look. They did scans and they found that she had an implant, like a six to seven um, millimeter, like so tiny implant somewhere in the back of her nasal cavity, right? So it's like, this is shocking because it's physical evidence for for what this is. Um, Time to get the neti pot out. Yeah, exactly. Well, you can't. You can't expel it just by just simply sneezing or whatever. This It's like there's a reason why they do this. But this story, right, this, this, this is where the story becomes really bizarre. Because at the same time, and it ties in with how the military is involved in this stuff and what's going on. But essentially, that the story that we know that's popularized in a lot of television shows and just even when you're looking for it on the internet, is that that particular evening, two police officers that were driving along a bridge that was not near, not too far away, 
they saw a woman hovering outside her window with three childlike beings floating towards a massive craft in the sky. Wow. It was witnessed, right? These guys, Richard and Dan, another Dan, a separate Dan from what Rob was describing, contact Bud Hopkins. They see Bud Hopkins describing this and they see somehow that, I don't know how it gets into the media, but it somehow gets into the media that this woman, Linda, has had this experience and these guys contact Bud Hopkins. Two police officers. Two police officers that want to remain anonymous. But they contact Bud Hopkins. Like, it's just a letter with their first and last names. And they say, uh, we want to speak to Linda because we're so worried about what happened to her. You know, we want to speak to her. And Bud Hopkins contacts Linda and says these these police officers saw something. You know, they've validated, like, the story. There's no way that they could have done this because she hadn't published all these elements of the story. It's only in Bud Hopkins' research. And so the fact that it matches up, like, obviously, Bud Hopkins is astounded. And so he, um, Linda says, yeah, sure, I'll I'll go along. I'll, I'll meet them. They show up at her front door, these two police officers. And when these police officers show up at her front door, Dan immediately is just like infatuated with Linda, like infatuated with her. He's just like, oh, he's like, oh, like really this can't. This police officer. This police officer, right? And it's odd. Like it's it's really, really strange. Um, but he's also- over- Well, you mean romantically? Romantically. But he's also overwhelmed with emotion because he's happy that she's okay. So both this Richard and this Dan- are happy that she's okay. Now, things go along for a little while and, you know, Linda continues to work with Bud and and do regressions and this kind of stuff. And another letter comes from these two, right? And this letter says something along the lines of, oh, well, we would like to, um, you know, speak to Linda again and, you know, talk to her about stuff. And so she does, like they do, they go and speak with with Linda and they start interrogating her. Like they interrogate her for forever hours, right? And it's starting to get odd. So Linda obviously backs off with this. It then takes a step to the next level because Linda starts saying that there's like Jaguars, like cars that are following her in the street. There's uh, vans that are parked outside. There are strange men in suits that are following her around. What? You know, all very much men in black kind of stuff. Is there a suggestion these two police officers aren't who they say they are? Absolutely. That she gets abducted by them. They pull her into one of these jags, right? And they drive her off to the beach. They, I don't know if they incapacitate her with some type of drug or whatever else, but they, they abduct her from the New York streets and drive her to a beach house somewhere. And she's in this beach house and she's like, I'm getting the hell out of here, you know? And Dan uh, gets to the point where he's just like, I want to have sex with you and I want to you know, do all these things to you. And So there could be nothing strange or paranormal about these guys apart from them wanting to be rapists and seeing yeah. this opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Spinning this story. Spinning this story. Why would Bud Hopkins believe this, though? Because they knew details that weren't public. Okay. So that suggests that they did see the same thing of what she described in her regression, right? So it could be more than them just making up a story. Oh, it's it's definitely more because um, the story goes is that... Um, because Richard is obviously concerned about Dan. Richard seems to be the more logical kind of one. There's something wrong with Dan. Like Dan has this really unhealthy obsession. And he tries to initiate sex with her. And she's like, no, I'm not having it. Uh, And they're distracted because she's been screaming and carrying on. And they get distracted. I think she knocks something over and she's able to flee this, this beach house. So she flees this beach house and Dan goes running after her. So does Richard in the distance, but Richard's too far back. And Dan something seems to come over him and apparently he grabs hold of her and pushes her into the ocean and starts choking and drowning her. What? Like, it's, it's horrible, right? Linda swears that some invisible entity or something hits him across the back of the head. Like, goes bam! And just, he's gone. Some like, unseen force. Some unseen force. Some invis- she says that it's an invisible entity. 
and Richard finally gets over and he's just like, and he can somehow convince, this is a strange thing, right? He somehow convinces her to come back to the beach house. What? And she does. She goes back. Now, she goes back to the beach house, right? Bud Hopkins, um, because she got the license plates, Bud Hopkins, with his connections, starts looking into all these connections. He finds out that while he doesn't get the specific agency name, he finds out that these particular license plates that she's been reporting are for... Uh, specific special interest government agencies that are these vehicles are designed oh assigned to government agencies. When after this event had taken place, there's one final letter that comes, and this letter is from Richard describing that Dan was completely overwhelmed, like something wrong had happened, um, and that you know there's there's something we we don't understand why, but he was very concerned about Dan. Like Dan had a mental breakdown as a result of all this, and it seems like though that these guys were involved with the CIA. And guess what they were doing? They were escorts for a UN um, leader. I think what? it was called, like the UN Secretary General at the time was in the back of that car as they were driving across the bridge. This is the information that comes through, right? This is just wild and Hasn't insane. another abduction researcher claimed that the UN Secretary General, I don't know which one, has been abducted? Yes. By aliens? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what comes out of this, right? So what they do, I've got it here on oh my notes. Where God. is it? Uh, Richard contacts Bud. It's, is it Hopkins? It must be another researcher that, is it Paul? Oh, it's Paula Harris? Secretary General uh, Javier Perez de Cula. Yeah, that was the claim that he was abducted by aliens. Right, okay. So in 1992, uh, maybe it was George P. Hansen that might have described that as well. Um, but ultimately, there's more um, regressions that take place, right? And what comes of the regression with, with Linda is that um, she sees, like she doesn't know about this, right? But she sees that secretary general mm. and these two men on a beach when they're all young. When they're all young, oh. and it's like this memory—it's like this memory that comes back, suggesting that all of them had been abducted together as kids, as kids, and this had somehow continued in some weird kind of fate setup. Wow! Had, it's just—isn't it weird? It's like it suggests here. In fact, it says here that it suggests that the four have been abducted years ago, with this beach scene documented somewhere or cemented somewhere in space and time. Incredible! You know, the just, long machinations of these other beings. They have plans that go for centuries. Yeah. So then we go in, and you're right though, it is stuff that goes for centuries, right? So we skip forward, right, in this in this research. And I know I'm running a little bit long, so I'll get I'll just get no, through No, you've this. got plenty of time. Okay. So let's look at the Italian researcher Corrado Malanga. Now, Corrado Malanga is a really fascinating individual. Uh, he's uh, has an academic background in organic chemistry and uh, chemical engineering, I believe, or, or chemistry itself. Uh, very, very smart man. But he started doing research into hypnosis and regressions, right? Now, look, his stuff does, I've got to admit, go batshit crazy. Like, it goes, it goes into, like, dot matrix, you know, uh, abductions and vibratory. So, I'm going to break it down to make it really reductive, like, really simple because it really is just starts crossing into elements of, like, new age physics. And then, so I've gone to his scribed page and I've found where there's actually been translations. There's very poor translations from okay. his Italian work to English work. Uh, and in there, you start seeing things like Nibiru and I'm going, oh, oh okay, when well, you throw that stuff in. But to break, make this very simple, back around 2009, and he'd been doing this for a number of years, he started to notice something very odd that was coming through in his regressions, right? And this was happening over and over and over again with the people that he's regressing. He started finding that he was talking to some 
alien parasite, some type of entity. Like he would get it and he used a different kind of regression, right? So we know these regressions that are kind of standard used, you know, in this field, but he starts using some other way of doing it. And he's, I don't know exactly how it works, but the idea is, is that you suspend the conscious mind and you get it completely out of the way so that the unconscious mind is, is free to float to the surface with anything. And he did this and he started finding that there were entities that were there. There were these alien entities that were inside. And he starts picking up on like past life memories, but past life memories that can't be of the person he's treating. He's he's like, where is this coming from? Right. And so he starts to make form this bigger picture. And essentially, let me tell you some of the stories that he's described, right? And these are are definitely out there. So there's one particular story of of a young man that was abducted from a nightclub restroom. Right, and what he describes is that uh, in this particular regression, the information I'm not comes abducted from a nightclub restroom. restroom. Yeah, so this they, this guy goes out with his friend, you know, with his wingman, and they go to this club, and they're in the club, and he says to his mate, "Oh, I'm just going to go to the bathroom," and his friend says, "Oh, yeah, um, and I'll wait." Like he's waiting in this corridor, right, thinking that his mate will just be, you know, a minute, if mm. that, and he says that he waits there for at least twenty five minutes, like at least twenty five minutes, and his friend comes out. And he's dirty. He's got this white powder all over him. He's dazed. It's like he's been drugged. He's like, he's out of it. And he's like, he's like, oh, oh I don't know what's happened. I don't know. And then he's like, he kind of comes to, and he's like, where did you get your jacket? Because we checked your jacket in at the front counter. Right. And he's like, oh, oh, I don't know. Let's go and party. Let's go. And they do. They just go and party, right? This exact story happened to a friend of mine, but he was off his mind on drugs. <laughs> Yeah, so that- he went into the toilet. We didn't know where he was, and we went in. He was just rolling around on the floor in all the scum, <laughs> oh, just covered in brown it's scum, chocolate, everything else. Oh, <laughs> so um, but this but he, this guy hadn't taken any drugs. He hadn't been drinking. He'd been normal. Like he'd gone in and he came out completely opposite. Like he was clearly under the effects of something. Right. So when he has the regression with Malanga, uh, he actually realizes that while he was in the bathroom, all of a sudden this door kind of goes, it opens, like an interdimensional door opens in the bathroom. Everything freezes around and these three greys like walk out. As these greys walk out, they kind of just grab him and flip him like onto his back. Mm. And then like you're pushing like someone on a table, they push him out like through the door, past the cloak check and then grab his jacket. They actually grab his jacket. And they How do they him. even know which jacket is I his? I don't know. I don't know. And they take his jacket and they shove him outside and they, there's this craft waiting. So this craft beams him up into the craft and he gets taken up on board the craft while he's paralyzed. He's got his jacket and they pull his shoes off and he's got this habit of like putting all this talcum powder in his shoes. He puts talcum, he claims so he can take them off. I don't know Italians. He claims that he can take it off easy by having talcum powder in his shoes. Okay. Regardless, <laughs> maybe his feet stink. I don't know. But he, when they take off his his shoes, all the talcum powder pours all over him and his jacket. And then this is how he also gets dirty because he'd been laying, like lying around on the ground as they'd, you know, pushed him through and yeah. collected scum and everything like what you just described. Um, they do something to him. They shove like an implant in him or something and then just take him back into the room. Like, and leave him. And he comes to in the bathroom wearing his jacket with all this talcum powder over him and he's out of it. And he has no memory of any no of this. No memory this just of just all came out in until the regression. And exactly, until he starts having stress and he starts having these weird experiences and you know he goes and nightmares. seeks out the assistant. Nightmares, exactly. Nightmares are a big one. That's a really big one. And this comes through. So then, um, what was the other one? Oh, yes. So there was a woman that was just on a train. 
Like she's on a train and exactly the same thing happens. Uh, the train is going along and she's supposed to, like it's an hour away from her destination. She's in this little carriage and it's empty. Everything freezes around her, like everything freezes. And she's like, what the hell's going on? A little doorway opens, a bunch of greys come out, grab hold of her, they take her away, uh, they do whatever they have to and they throw her back in. But when they throw her back in, something's gone wrong where basically this is a human materialization from the perspective of the fact that when they took her, they took her from an empty carriage, even though they'd frozen it, something had happened where someone had come into that carriage. And so when they returned her, they just returned it instantaneously back into, you know, time space. It's amazing that they have this technology where they can freeze time and everything inside it and then open an interdimensional portal and then come and abduct someone. Oh, yeah. F-22s are shooting down their craft in the United States. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? And haven't you noticed, as I was talking (laughs) about on the Plus show about the propaganda 2x4, it's all died down. It's took two weeks. It's all a distraction. It is a distraction. <laughs> Go listen to Plus. I have a very coherent, no, logical it. argument about just that. Skip that one. Anyway, going back, uh, there was another story that was described of a young girl that she has this memory of uh, drowning, right? And she was always like, because her father came running over and her father was angry and people were rushing around and she drowned. But there was all this, always this element of it that she couldn't understand because she was dry. So she drowned, but she was dry, right? That doesn't make sense. And so what happened was is that she'd gone from this regression. She'd jumped into the water. And as she jumped into the water, this weird bubble encases her. And all these lights come up from underneath. And she's abducted through a bubble in the water. Oh. They freeze time at this beach. They abduct her. They, the family thinks she's drowning because she's underwater for so long. And then they propel her back out when they're finished with her. And when she's propelled back out, she's dry. This all seems very elaborate. I mean, just the classic everyone's asleep in the bedroom portal seems like the best way oh, to do it. I don't yeah, get these gets, really elaborate. Like, is there a competition between the aliens on who can do the most complicated abduction? These ones really are. This is why I want to mention them. Like, they're the most weird types of abduction. And you're right, they're, they're unnecessarily elaborate for it some was reason. probably the Galactic Abduction World Championships are on. <laughs> Well, then this next one, right? This time, a guy installs a new GPS. And back then, you know, when no one had GPS on their phones, 2008, 2009, uh, or it was rare at least, um, he got a GPS, like, you know, those things you'd stick to your dashboard or onto your windshield. And he puts in this new GPS and he goes to press go. And as he does, apparently this thing records where he goes. So he presses go and then everything freezes around him. And in the regression, he recalls that, uh, well, no, before the regression, he comes to, right? And he's at where he'd left, but he looks at his GPS and his GPS had done this weird <laughs> like route all the way around and had come back precisely to the location that he left. It was like a 10,000 feet elevation. Yeah, yeah, and all this time had passed. And he's like, what the hell? And he's, when he does the regression, he finds that as he's just about to drive off, his car is controlled mm. and a bunch of Italian military with reptilians violently abduct him from the car and then send the car away. Italian military. Italian military. With reptilians. With reptilians, right? And we have heard this. We've heard stories <laughs> in my labs of you know other abductees in the States, you know, in America describing that they've seen humans working with with aliens, you know, whether it's reptilians or greys, it doesn't matter. I want to see an Italian soldier in a violent, uh, visceral argument with a reptilian where oh, he's yeah, just gesticulating <laughs> and the reptilian spitting <laughs> and there's all this kind of these... Italian gesticulations going on. Yeah, yeah, that could work. Uh, then, of course, there's the uh, the nursery elevator story. And all this is, it starts off of a father that's just had his child born, but the child was, I think, uh, seven and a half months, so very premature. 
And this child, the doctors were saying was a miracle because the child was not supposed to make it. And he says the child is played, like the child's born and everything gets through and the doctors are amazed because it's like the, ba- the baby's healthy and fine. And he climbs into this elevator to go down to the nursery. So the, the nurses give him the baby and he's holding it in his arms and they go down to the nursery. And when they, he steps out of the elevator, he's got a, like a cigarette burn on his arm. Like this, and he's like, where the hell did that come from? Like just no recollection. It's just this cigarette burn. Like it's painful and, and horrible on his arm. And he was in the lift, you know, with the nurses. Like no one had a cigarette. This is weird. Mm. So later on, he undergoes a regression. When he undergoes a regression, again, these beings, they freeze the elevator when he steps in and a bunch of greys come out through the wall, through this weird kind of like um, portal. And as these greys are corridor, and when these greys come out, they try to take the baby off him. And he's like, what? no, you're not taking my baby. Like he oh, so he's conscious while everything's frozen. Yeah, yeah. And so he's holding onto the baby. You're not taking my baby. He pro- this grey produces some type of wand and stabs him with it, which shocks him and paralyzes him and burns him. And so this is where the burn had come from. They're our friends. Now they take the They're baby here to away. Save us. They take the baby away, and when the baby comes back, they bring the baby in this clear plastic material, right? And they then remove the baby from the plastic and then put the baby in his arms, and then the kid's fine, right? Now this ties, yeah, this ties in. Was to, it a changeling? Yes. Well, maybe this ties into Malanga's research, where it really does go down. Like, okay, let's. Uh, where? How do I get into this? Um, yeah. <laughs> like, there was one anecdotal story of a guy that was flying on a plane and he fell asleep, and when he woke up, very Stephen King style, the plane was empty, like no one else was there, and then he got like this weird feeling. Awesome, stretch over- out. Well, he gets this feeling that overcomes, and he falls asleep again. And when he wakes back up, everyone's returned to the plane, so right. that that kind of thing. He was the but only one that wasn't abducted. There was one woman that describes right. So this is where these savior stories start popping up, and um, there was one woman that claims that she was. Um, crushed by a truck. She was a motorcyclist. And I think Preston Dennett may have, have highlighted this case because it was yeah, about sounds miraculous hearings, uh, healings. Uh, she was in a motorcycle accident and she was crushed. Like her body was destroyed by a truck. And she woke up in hospital and she was fine. Like she was just completely fine. And minor cuts and scrapes here and there, but nothing. But all she recalled was this man, this um, blonde-headed or strawberry blonde-headed man that was like, holding her and saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. And there was no one, right? There was just no one. So she has a regression and she actually finds that she gets this glimpse of this seven foot tall, blue tracksuit wearing, vertical pupiled and copper haired entity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this entity took her up to her clone body. Cool. And took her and they called them containers. And we've heard this with other researchers, right? They called them containers where they took her because it was like her, she was floating out of body. They took that and they shoved it back into the container, which was her body that was waiting. And then they put this body back down at the site where the accident had taken place. Swapped it out like a battery. Swapped it out. There was another person that described um, a woman that she said uh, she was suicidal, right? She was in the hospital and uh, Malanga was consulting with her for whatever reason with hypnosis. And he goes, go back to the point where you became suicidal. And so she does. And she goes back to this point where the Madonna, you know, like the religious figure, not, well, I mean, I, mean, I would probably want to be suicidal if Madonna showed up in my bedroom too. <laughs> but the Madonna shows up. I mean, have you seen her recently? Anyway, yeah. so the Madonna shows up in the, in the bedroom. and um, But there's also military people. 
there, right? And for whatever reason, I don't know if this had, because of the translation, it's hard to understand exactly what had happened, but it seems like she had attempted to take her life previously. And there was like some fear or concern that she was going to do it again. So the reason why these beings showed up was to actually abduct her to save her from whatever pills she had taken or or whatever had taken place. But she describes going down into this underground cavern that was maybe somewhere in Sardinia. She's not entirely sure. But these beings place like these weird stickers all over her body. And as they place the stickers over, they're draining like vampires. They're like draining, they're draining energy from her. Like they were pulling this energy. And of course, this blue-suited, track-suited, vertical-pupiled, copper-haired individual shows up, rescues her. Right, these beings pop up again and again and again in these cases, um, and they seem to be some type of savior being. Which maybe, like, I'm thinking with the Bud Hopkins case and Linda, is like that's what showed up. Well, there is some theory that these beings are not what they seem to be. Yes, they seem to be savior entities, but they're performing a very specific task that relates to the theory that Malanga has come to which is the actual consciousness of immortality, which he has met in some of his abductee hypnosis sessions. The mind of immortality. The mind of immortality. As in immortality is an, an entity. And he explains... How does that work? <laughs> ...why the greys or why alien beings, including cyborgs, have been abducting us for a very long time, why they use this. I'm going to explain all of that in the plus extension... Coming up in a moment. I had a feeling you were going to do that with the way you started to slow down and tell that story. That's awesome stuff. I, I want to tell a little story I, I came up against uh, just today, actually, because there's this new book from Matthew Connolly, and I want to mention this uh, in the plus extension as well before I go into my Polish um, psychometry masters. It's this book called The Declassification Engine, What History Reveals About America's Top Secrets. Oh, yeah. It's by Matthew Connolly. just came out. And at the start of the book, he's being interviewed by a, a massive room of lawyers and government experts and military experts because he's trying to get a grant to do a study on declassified documents. And essentially what he wants to do is gather all the declassified documents he can get his hands on. Just everything that's been declassified by the US government. Like out of a garage or... No, well, you could just get it from the archives. Right? Oh, right. It's declassified. Oh, declassified. Right? So, any he, oh, not classified. No, declassified. <laughs> and he, he gets his hands on all these documents and he puts together a team of... This is what he wants to do. Get a team of data scientists and run algorithms on the declassified documents. Looking for what? To essentially get the AI to tell the researchers what the government classifies and what it doesn't declassify. And think of what you can learn from running AI algorithms and data science over declassified documents. So the reason all these lawyers are in the room and all these military experts are in the room are like, you know, what happens if you uncover all this information that you're not meant to have? And the people that are trying to give him the money are worried that they're going to go to prison. He's worried he's going to go to prison. Long story short, they give him the money, but part of the conditions were he's never able to talk about it ever. Oh. And none of the other researchers are ever able to talk about whatever they find. So, of course, that kills the research project because people want to talk about their research. Someone else would do this. Well, I don't know how he's released this book because he's talking about it quite a lot. (laughs) And one of the chapters is called Weird Science. And he talks about this military secret 
that's been classified since the First World War. What could that possibly be? And in 1978, the CIA came upon these documents classified from the First World War. And these are older than the CIA itself. And they reviewed them for declassification. And the CIA was like, no, we cannot declassify these. They're still, they still need to be protected by national security. And so once this was classified, once people got wind of documents that have been classified since the First World War about military technology, there had always been this question mark of what the hell could it be? What could possibly be so important to national security that it's been classified since 1917? And in this chapter, which I'll reveal in the Plus Extension coming up, they've finally been declassified and he helped identify it with his big data algorithms. Interesting. I'll discuss okay. that. I'll discuss that briefly, what this magical military technology is uh, and what it was revealed to be after the break in our Plus Extension. And also, I've got a ton of stuff on uh, Polish psychometry as well, some weird uh, psychic archaeology stuff coming up as well. That's all in mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. Sign up today. Get access to the big extensions we do every single Friday. And of course, plus members get access to an exclusive season that comes out on Tuesdays. You're getting more than double the content if you sign up for plus. You also get an ad-free version of the show, a higher bitrate MP3, so the highest quality we put out. And of course, if you sign up for MU Max, one of the top tiers we have, you get access to our... 10 plus years of shows. Our entire back catalogue is available to our MU Max subscribers. Check it out today. It starts at nine bucks a month, mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. That's a wrap for this free edition of MU. Thanks for listening. If you're on plus, stick around for the great stuff after the break. For everyone else, we'll catch you next week. Welcome back to your Plus Extension. Great to have you.